Welcome to the OA Lighted Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Victor. Boy, I don't know if I get boring saying this after all these many years, but I'm Victor, and I'm still a compulsive overeater. Uh, I am going to take one exception to the cell phone thing tonight, and I'll give you a little explanation why. First of all, it's set on vibrate. Uh, my wife, about 10 years ago and 8 years ago, had strokes, and in November she had a TIA, which is essentially a mini-stroke, but it turned out that it probably wasn't. She may be having seizures, and we don't know that yet, but we're going back to UCLA on Monday to do some more testing. So the reason I'm doing that was as I ex- explained to her. And so one of the things I've learned in terms of balance in this program, and Elijah's not timed as yet, it's going to be a little bit later. (laughs) For those who aren't, can't see the doors opening. And if you don't get the joke, don't worry about it. (laughs) Um, Anyway, uh, so I have that here just in case I told her, you must call me if something comes up. So if you see me distracted for a moment or two, please understand it's for something important. And the phone is on vibrate, so you shouldn't hear anything. Anyway, I am Victor. I'm still a compulsive overeater. Hi, Victor. And a couple of things before I start. One, I do not walk on water. Um, but occasionally I can dog paddle sort of semi-decently. And the things I'm about to say tonight, there's a good chunk of them that I've learned from what I've come to call my spiritual elders. And that's very important to me because those spiritual elders stretch back not only in terms of my time in the program, but because of other spiritual journeys I've taken over the time as well, too, over many hundreds and thousands of years. And I'm grateful for that because even though the 12 steps that was brought to us back in the mid-30s were tremendously for it, I believe, spiritually for all humans, but I believe a lot of people have been on the road of spirituality for a long, long time. And when I speak about spirituality, I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about any specific set of ethics. What, for me, when I talk about spirituality, uh, and then I'll get on to how it was before, is the means for us as individuals to stay in contact with that one thing that is greater than we are. And I'll touch on that a little bit more. Anyway, my story started somewhere in about March 6, 1948 at 10.02 in the morning. Hey. Um, my mother was about the third or fourth youngest of 13 children and lived on a farm and was born in 1912. My father was the youngest of eight children. He was born in 1907 and uh, he, was, he grew up in El Paso, Texas. And the only reason I tell you these things because both my parents were... Uh, wonderful people Um, and that leads me into really the beginning of my story which is my first two higher powers it was a close race in the beginning but were food and my mother and the reason I talk about my mother is is that my mother was the one who taught me how to use food to deal or most particularly not to have to deal with my feelings no matter what they happen to be in life I can remember back when I was quite young, and the reason I say that is, is that because I'm about to say in a moment is an important part of my story, is somewhere uh, around two years old, I can remember in the house that we lived in at that particular time that my mother had a dress on and I was helping her mark the hem on it and it had one of these old wooden things that you had a little chalk thing on that you'd spray and you'd move it around and put a marking on the dress so it could be hemmed later on. 
I also remember around that time, I can't remember if it was before I could walk or not, sitting on a blanket in the front yard with another young kid, or baby almost really at that particular time. When I was five years old, um, I was always a reasonably giving person, liked to share things, and besides also being a younger child, there was a young guy next door who was all of a whole one year older than I was, so he was a big guy. And of course, I wanted to curry his favor, and so I always shared and played with him and shared my toys with him. And one day, my mother came to me and said, whatever, you're not supposed to share your toys with the boy next door. And of course, being five years old, that didn't compute whatsoever, because this is how I was, and this is what I did. And I, so I went out the next time around, and I shared my toys with this particular boy next door. And I come home, and then my mother beat me with a belt. And within seconds afterwards, she cried and held me and told me she loved me. And I spent the rest of my life, until I got into the 12-step programs, trying to figure just how the hell to be able to make sure that everybody that I loved in my life and I thought loved me, that I could do the exact right thing that would never allow them to hurt me again. And so, as time went on, uh, I was lucky enough to be able to grow vertically before I started growing too much horizontally, but there comes a point in life, since I'm not uh, one of the tall basketball players, even though I am somewhere, if I stand up straight, somewhere around six foot tall, you're just going to stop growing vertically. And I remember, and particularly in uh, the, between eighth grade and freshman year, I was uh, going to a high school, an all-boys high school, that you had to take a test to get into, Scared the hell out of me. We had five books to read that particular summer, and within two months I'd gained 20 pounds already. Just for reference, for those of you who statistics make any importance to you, right now my, my weight is I'm at 40 pounds lower than the top weight I've ever been in my adult life. And I don't pay a lot of attention to that. Let me just say something very, I'll come back to that a little bit later, but I don't weigh myself unless I'm going to the doctor's office. But back at the ranch, growing up, um, I remember that one of the things that I used to love to be able to do was is to sit there and, once again, my mother uh, sharing with me her experience, strength, and hope in a different fashion at that particular time, would be able to love, because she was a tremendous uh, cook, I used to love to be in the kitchen where there, so that I could make sure that I could clean all the bowls, clean all the stuff and everything that was around there, and uh, make sure there was nothing left over that might spoil. We certainly wouldn't want that to happen. Um, one of the things that did occur and I, I have started sharing this and he's going to come in whether we want him to or not through the door that keeps opening is that one of the things that happens and that I have learned in my life is, is that feelings are always going to be there unless I'm going to deal with them in some fashion and if I don't if I take the food like I used to to stuff it down with it's not going anywhere. One of the things I've learned in the program is time heals nothing. It just keeps going on and on and on. And no matter what I might think that if I take that feeling and I step it down like I used to when I was younger, it's still going to be there unless I deal with it. And so I was sort of like a, a reverse Santa Claus in a nightmare was I would keep taking these feelings and stuffing them in this wonderful bag, which opened to be, happened to be this emotional and psychological bag that I carried around with me as well as the weight that I carried around me as well, because the, the food was able to help 
salve my soul in terms of not having to feel the feelings that I didn't want to feel. At the same time, put a physical distance between me and you. And it gave me a certain amount of feeling of gravitas, at least anyway, that somehow uh, I could always manage to be, you know, the tough kid on the block if I really needed to. I'm jumping ahead a little bit on this one, but the one thing that I've learned is, is that I have more weight now than I used to when I weighed more than I am now. Because the weight that I have now, the sense of balance comes from my relationship with my higher power, which was something I didn't have when I was a kid, although I had been brought up in a particular religion. And um, But the important thing when I got into this program was I was given the opportunity and choice to be able to find my own higher power for myself. So anyway, being that uh, the fact that I had to have people in my life that would love me and that I would do whatever I needed to to love them. Uh, I was married at 18, father at 19. My son in October turns 45, so that makes me about 128. <laughs> and um, part of the reason I mentioned that part of my story as well, too, was is that there was a point in my first marriage where, just to give you a feeling of where my own self-worth was, that one day my first wife came out to me and in an extremely ordinary voice, not a hint of sarcasm or accusation in her voice whatsoever, and I was out cleaning my motorcycle and she said to me, boy, you spent a lot of time working on your motorcycle and keeping it clean. And I never touched it after that. Because what I saw that as, once again, I was doing something that was inappropriate, and if I didn't do it right, somebody else might hurt me, and gee, where's that local candy bar store so I can go get something to eat right now? Um, my higher power has had to take a two-by-four to get my attention on a couple of major occasions in my life where I was willing then to also pay attention to the two-by-fours. I suspect there are others, but these two times I was willing to do that. Uh, once is when I woke up um, one morning about 31 years ago and took a head count of what the population was in the house and I got to three and I was looking for four and I couldn't find four and I was a single dad and spent about a year and a half because I don't want to exaggerate that of being a single father and that got me into another 12-step program and the reason I mentioned that was in the beginning of that 12-step program as I was starting to do some writing in that beginning of that, I started noticing things like I'd be writing down and I finished off that box of whatever today, or I finished off that bag of whatever it was today. Because the dreaded thing that I never wanted to do was to come into OA. Because it was one of the most embarrassing things I thought I would have to do to live in the shame of somehow that I was not good enough as the rest of the people out there, that there was something broken about me that was just not working properly. So I did that wonderful thing called plea bargain. And that other 12-step program was, if I can somehow insert the phrase, I'm living parallels and food. And if I could get by with doing that, maybe that was just going to be enough to be my salvation. I really wouldn't have to do that silly thing about coming into OA and then working the 12 steps here. Which, by the way, you have to do, or at least I had to do, I should say anyway. And I'll come back to that in just a moment. About, well, about 29 years or so ago, give or take, I found my second wife at that particular time. 
Uh, we've been married for that particular time. We were expecting our first child, although I had two children from another marriage, just looking forward to having this child with her and I. And that was a little, just a little bit over 21 years ago. And the reason I tell that, it's one of those other two-by-fours in my life that needed to get my attention. I was at work one day, and I got a call from her, and I had to take her to the hospital because she was having a miscarriage. And one of the things I had learned in the other program was really extremely important to deal with my feelings right away. Because if I don't, as I said earlier, they just sit there and they eat at me, and then (laughs) I want to eat over them. The other really important thing I learned, too, was is that it's important to take care of them at the appropriate time. And one of them is not to be crying. Driving down the, Santa Ma- excuse me, the Pasadena freeway at 70 miles an hour on a freeway who those who don't happen to live in Los Angeles was built back in the 20s when cars went about 45 miles an hour maximum. Because I understood at that point was it was important to take care of my feelings, but it was more important for me to be of service to someone else. And as someone said earlier, too, that's the most important thing for me to be able to maintain my abstinence in this program, is to be able to be of service to someone else. And I'm grateful that I was, first of all, because there were times earlier in life, unknowingly, I was not very sensitive to my wife's needs and what needed to be a good part of a relationship. And the other part was that's what led me into the program, because after I brought my wife home from the hospital a couple of days later, this was in the evening, we were getting ready to go to bed, and although I knew that there were still some emotional things that would have, we'd have to deal with, I asked her if she was okay, hoping that, you know, physically at that moment she was okay. And she said yes, and it was like somebody had turned on a switch, and I sat there and cried and bawled because we just lost the son that we were, we were expecting, and that wasn't going to happen. Within a week after that, I remember seeing something on the uh, local paper, and it was one of those wonderful ads that talk about, here's the picture before, here's the picture after, give us six weeks and a few thousand dollars and you can look like this too. And of course, those of you who have heard me before have said that they never show you what that person looks like the minute after, the day after, the week after, the month after, ten years after. What they've done is they've taken a beautiful portrait of somebody in a sense of perfection who was, if it was me, I'd be holding in my stomach and sucking in my breath at the same time. And I cut it out and I took it to my wife and I said, I don't want to do this. But I know I have a problem with food. And I'm grateful to say that I paid attention to my wife at least once in my life when she said, you might want to consider going to OA. So being the dutiful, obsessive, compulsive person that I am, I made sure that I got all the information. Um, There was a war that occurred somewhere in Southeast Asia about uh, 40-some-odd years ago. And they spent, I think it was about a year, deciding what the shape of the table was going to be like and who was going to be sitting where. So being the good organizer, what I did is after I got out all that information, I sat there and waited. Of course, I had to make sure that I got to the right meeting at the right time. And I was driving towards Santa Monica um, twenty, a little over 21 years ago, going to another meeting. And I started getting into one of those famous debates that I get with myself. And the one thing that I know, if I know nothing else in life, is that when I get into a debate with myself, there's one thing that's guaranteed, and that's I'm going to lose. <laughs> 
was like the, uh, the, the wrestling match my son had with his teddy bear when he was six years old and he lost. <laughs> so that was the way that I was. But the one thing I'm grateful for is that I was driving towards Santa Monica and I was saying, well, I'm not sure if this is the right meeting and I'm not sure if I should be going there and this may not be the place to tell my story and that there was something inside of me, that small, quiet voice that said, you need to go. And so I went to my first meeting over on Hill Street and when it came time to raise your hand, when they asked for newcomers, I was grateful to do so and to share that I was a compulsive overeater. And on that day, once again, somewhere around January the 16th at about 7.30 in the morning, 1991, which happened to be the day of the first Gulf War years and years ago, um, I was grateful to go up to somebody after the meeting and ask if they could explain to me what their abstinence meant to them and if they would share with me at least what their food plan was, I at least heard that much about what I needed to hear that first meeting. I'm grateful to say one day at a time, for a little over 21 years, I've been abstinent in this program, and I immediately follow that up by saying at the same time that the world's record for abstinence is only 24 hours. Sometimes it's 24 minutes. Sometimes it's just for that 2.4 seconds before I take that first bite, and I say to my higher power, how can I be of service here? And the thing that I've learned is I can't be of service to anyone else, and to anyone else unless I'm being of service to myself as well as part of that. Um, how, do, how did I get to the abstinence? Even though I'd worked the 12 steps in the other program, one of the things that became obvious to me, which really pissed me off, was that I was going to have to work the 12 steps in this program as well too. And I remember getting to the four-step, going to a four-step workshop, and there was another person over there with which I felt I had absolutely nothing in common. And we were sitting there writing things down, and I was writing things down and thinking, well, I remember writing this down before, and I remember writing that down before, and this seems really boring, and what's the use of me going through this again? And when we got to the point at the end of it, we were supposed to share with the other person we wrote, and the other person shared something with me that I had forgotten about, as something that I had done that I needed to still make amends in my life and about. And it was like, one of the things that I have learned in this program is there really truly is more to be revealed. Um, there were times in my 20s when I felt like I was already 70. And my life was already over at those particular points. Because of the food, and because of the lack of self-worth that I had about myself. I'm grateful to say that today, even though I'm 128 years old, that there are moments, <laughs> moments at least anyway, where I feel like that the most important thing that's reflected in terms of whatever I feel my age happens to be is whatever the age is happening inside of me. Not that the fact that my skin is sagging in places, sometimes because of the weight I lost, and now you know gravity and age is catching up with me. It's just that fact and feeling of knowing that there's almost a, hardly a day goes by where there isn't something that I can really appreciate or something that I don't learn new about life a little bit or about myself a little bit. And I'm going to take a little example in that regard. And how am I doing on time, by the way? Ten minutes Thank you. Two weeks ago, we had to make one of those tough decisions that we all do in life, and that was we had to euthanize one of our outdoor cats. And the decision to do it ahead of time was really not that difficult because we felt it was the right thing to do. And then we went to the vets and... Um, one of the things is, is that I don't believe any being of any kind, <coughs> pardon me, 
should die alone. It surprises me sometimes still how this comes up. The really important thing is, is not to choke back my feelings and to continue to talk so that I know that I'm not stuffing them down. And that is is that we uh, got there. They gave, uh, my wife held a cat, gave it the relaxant, and then gave it the overdose of uh, anesthesia, and that's what the, the, the method is. And my wife held her, or held him, I should say. Ginger, to be as specific, and for the specific reason, this is because of the color of his fur. And I remember holding him afterwards and crying more than I thought I would. Even now, it surprises me a bit. Because I learned it's also okay to grieve about things as well, too. It's also okay to cry in front of other people as well. And the interesting thing about that, too, in terms of continuing to live my life on a moment-to-moment basis more than I used to, so I was surprised why it affected me in such a big way. It wasn't, we have indoor cats and outdoor cats, and there were the twain show me, and it's a long and boring story, but he was a good guy. And when I'd go over to pet him, he would rise up and we'd meet on the outside. Dang. Anyway, I'm just surprised a little bit. It's catching up with me again. But the thing I learned about 24 hours later, because I really was wondering, why is this cat having such an effect on my life? And I realized that at the moment that he was being given the overdose and euthanized, that I also had this tremendous feeling of helplessness at that moment. And I bring that story up as much as anything, too, because at moments before I came into the program, that's exactly how I felt. That somehow there would never, ever, ever be in my life at any time. The ability to be able to somehow not have to take that extra bite. Somehow not to have to lie to say, hey, dear, do you need anything from the store? Because if you do, I think I need to go get the paper because I couldn't find it this morning. And it would give me an excuse to go out and overeat. Or it could be Groundhog's Day. Or it could be a beautiful day at the beach. It really, really didn't matter what the reason was. Because I had somehow at some point, somewhere along the line, crossed over the line. I don't know where it is. I don't know when it was. But in the process of that happening, I no longer had the ability to say no to overeating the food that was around me at any time. And one of the things I'm truly tremendously grateful for, excuse me, I was able to come to the point where I could hate my mother I was able to come to the point where I could resent what she had done to me, in quotes. I'm tremendously grateful for the point that I got to the point where sometimes when I think of my mother, and my father too, but sometimes when I think of my mother, I can actually cry and understand how difficult it was for her without a program. And I say this more than anything else just so that you understand that I believe my mother walked like a duck and quacked like a duck and there's a good chance she was a duck like the rest of us. The scale at home went somewhere over three or 330 pounds and I know she weighed above that. But I never really knew what she weighed. I'm tremendously grateful for that I don't have to hate her anymore. I don't need to resent her anymore. 
and that I can be freed from that particular bondage of resentment. Because this is the one thing that will kill me and everybody else in this program is resentment. When I get up in the morning, the first thing I do is, is I go to step 11. I do it a little bit differently than some do. Rather than pray and meditate, what I do is I start off in my meditation first. And what I do is, is I take a few moments to gather myself together, to breathe and relax a little bit, and then to go into my meditation. And I'm not going to go into a tremendous amount of detail here right now. Partially, some of it's a little bit outside, and partially because it just isn't enough time. But I have... I've taken uh, some meditation course especially in the last couple of years I've been years oh I've been doing it for a number of years now I meditate for 20 minutes I lie down and part of what I say afterwards is is that um, I pray to my higher power to be me and to use me and then what I do is is that I go into the first three steps and once again I won't go into some of the detail but I do certain physical actions that I get involved with in terms of the steps Step one is the problem. And I need to remind it every day of my life that I do have this problem and that it's nothing to be ashamed of. If I had diabetes, if I had some other particular problem, it would be no more embarrassing or shameful than it would to be a compulsive overeater. I admit I'm powerless over food and some other things. And one of those other things happened to be, and I won't get into a lot of detail about that, uh, drugs that happened to dovetail really, really nicely with compulsive overeating. Um, the other thing I understand, though, in the first step is, is that because the food really, in some ways, even though it is my disease, it's also a symptom of a lack of something inside of me. And that lack of something for many, many years was that lack and void of having a spiritual connection with a higher power that was really truly based on something that was coming from inside of me and not just something that was taught to me and I was hearing from up here in my brain. So that tells me also that I'm also powerful, powerless rather over life. I'm powerless over the results of whatever my footwork is because I want to know that everything I do ahead of time and I want to control it and I want to know what the outcome is going to be before I actually do it. Before I take that first dance class, I want to be able to dance like Fred Astaire so I won't be embarrassed. <laughs> I'm powerless over the past. It's in the can. There's nothing I can do about it. I have no magic editing fingers that I can go back and change what happened. I'm powerless over the future. I can plan for it, but I certainly have no control over what's going over at that particular time. And so that leaves me with the one thing I can live in is the moment. And I'm going to take a little slight tangent here and say that of all the things in life that I can do or not do, the one thing that comes as close as possible to almost the only thing I can do in this moment is breathing. I can hold it for 10 seconds, 15 seconds. When I was a kid, I could maybe get up to two or three minutes of going underwater, but I can't do it for very long. So I understand that my breath is something that also helps me keep me right in the moment. I'm also powerless over the fact that I have these crazy, strange thoughts that came in, come into my head all the time, and I'm grateful I don't have a little you know, television screen up here. Otherwise, they would have put me in jail a long time ago. <laughs> and the reason I say that is that what happens is when these crazy thoughts come into my head, what happens is that it also starts tying into the other fact that I understand the fact that I have feelings and I'm powerless over those. And I don't need to control them. That's the wonderful and amazing part, is I don't need to control my feelings. And now that I've been given some freedom in the program to understand what I'm about and what I believe life is about and a modest sense of reality, 
is it that when the crazy thought comes up and I start going down that, I can just simply, before I start going all the way down to where I'm sitting in, or standing in downtown Los Angeles, as I want to say before, and 110 degrees in the middle of August and six foot of snow, homeless, hungry, and naked, that that's not a reality. Whether it will be ever or not, I have no idea, but at this particular moment, as far as I can tell, and for those who are listening on tape, I am wearing clothes, thank God. <laughs> I'm wearing, I, I'm okay right now at this very moment. I'm okay. And when the crazy thought comes into my head, I can pray to my higher power and say, God, I tell you what, as I understand the relationship between you and I, I'm to do the footwork, and you son of a bitch are the one that's supposed to give me the strength to do what I need to do. So I tell you what for right now. I don't think this thought works for me. You bring it back to me if you need to, but this is yours. I'm giving it to you and I'm moving on to other things. Because what happens, it'll start taking all those things and turning it into fears and anxieties or expectations. Because I was never good enough to just be one of you. I had to either be better than or I had to be worse than. I could never be just a worker among workers. And one of the things the program tells me is that that's all I really need to be. And so in that first step, my problem is food and life and all these other things, and my life had become unmanageable. And when I say that, I accept and understand that that's the problem. Step two. There's no saying about pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. There's these straps in your boots, if you happen to wear boots, that allow you to pull them up. For just a moment, think of yourself taking your fingers and putting one in each one of the boots on both hands and having your straps in that and trying to pull yourself up. It's about one of the most ridiculous images I've ever seen in my entire life. But that's what life tells us to do. But the thing I've learned in this program is I don't have to do it. And step two lets me know that if I want to, I can come to an understanding and a belief, most importantly, that there is a power greater than myself that can restore me to sanity. And that power greater than myself is an ongoing evolution with me. And it's certainly not what I was taught to about years and years ago. And it's not even the same thing that was in the beginning of when I came into the program. And I use this story to illustrate that in the best way that I can. Because there are also atheists in this program who work wonderful programs as well. We took 12 people. And if they'd never seen an elephant before, and we blindfolded them, and we sat them around the elephant. And what we did was we asked them to touch only one part of the elephant. Each one of those people would give us a different description of what that elephant was based on that one thing. There are many spiritual paths that people take in this particular life, and they're like those blindfolded people around that elephant. And so when I talked earlier about my spiritual elders, there are people that I'm grateful for that I've been blessed with who come into my life in all sorts of fashions who basically have given me a little piece of the elephant. And I will never know the whole elephant because I'm a finite human being. If I weren't, then I would be God, and I wouldn't be in the stand program. <laughs> But I'm not. I'm a human being. And I only get little bits and pieces of this, so it's an ongoing thing. But I do believe enough that I'm willing to take that third step, which I do every morning as well, too, which says is that I'm willing to make a decision. And that's all it asks me to do, is make a decision. A decision isn't an action. But my action then comes right afterwards for me, which is, is that I go into the third step prayer. And one of the things I've added is that when I start off with God, I offer myself to thee. I've added this little phrase without reservation. It scares the hell out of me. Because I want to control everything once again. I want to know exactly how my life is going to turn out. And that's what my food allowed me to do. That was one part of my life I could always control. I could either eat or not eat, do whatever I wanted to. But it was the one thing in my life that was a constant, my constant lover was that food. 
And here I'm saying, I'm willing to turn my will and my life and everything that I am over to my higher power as I understand it. And then I get to the other steps, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine, which allow me to start recovering and to get into recovery. I begin to clean up my side of the street. I begin to be able to be willing to tell another human being. And one of the things I'm very grateful for is the sponsors in my life have been really, really nice enough to never fall asleep while I was reading stuff from my fourth step. <laughs> and that brings... Uh, humility, by the way, for me, is, is not only just knowing what your defects are, but what your assets are. And I believe that's honestly what happens in the fourth step, is that I begin to reveal to myself the areas where I have not only weaknesses, but also areas where I might have some strengths as well, as well too. Because rumors to the contrary in my own brain, I really am not a piece of shit. God really doesn't make junk. However you view your higher power to be. By the way, God is a three-letter word, unfortunately, for a lot of people. And um, I'm not here to define that what that is for you. I use that as a shorthand because it, it's a lot easier than going to the long description of what my current thinking about what my higher power happens to be. It also allows me to be able to, once again, make amends where I need to make amends to other people. And then I get into the steps where I can maintain my recovery, which is 10 and 11. And step 10, as I talked about earlier, I can do meditation and prayer. And I need to maintain on a daily basis my contact with my higher power in some fashion. And by the way, this is not some straight line graph that goes from, you know, here I was in the program and here I am up here now in terms of spiritually. It's been up and down, sideways and backwards. And you give me about 30 seconds in myself, by myself, in a closet, and I'll go start raving mad because I'll sit there driving myself crazy about stuff. And when I do, I can always stop. And this is one of the things that I've added, as I said earlier, in the last few months of, of the program, is, is that I really try and stop whether it has to do with crossing the street, buying something, helping somebody in the program. I ask myself this question, God, how can I be of service in this situation? Because if I ask that ahead of time, rather than what can I get out of it, do I have time to do so when I'm not perfect, and there's times when I just don't want to answer the phone, and there's times when I just I run out of gas and there's nothing else I can do. But if I ask that, then I wind up in some fashion that I get some guidance as to what to do going forward. I've almost skipped over uh, step 10, which is very important, which is I keep to I allows me on a daily basis to keep my side of the street clean. Because it's easy for me to want to lie to myself because if I can lie to myself, I can lie to you. And if I can lie to you, I can lie to my higher power, which I'm grateful that, you know, at this particular point, if he ever decided that he was going to strike me down with uh, lightning, it would have been done a hell of a long time ago. Especially, by the way, that I have my conversations these days with my higher power. And so that I'm not dramatic, I won't use all the foul language when I'm talking to him and telling him where he can shove it where the sun don't shine on some occasions. But the thing is, I've realized is that if I can't have that kind of honest relationship, it's not really worth having. So it brings me to step 12. If I understand what the problem is, if I understand what the solution is, if I make a decision to accept that as a possibility, I've done the footwork and I'm keeping my side of the street clean and I'm doing things if I, as I can on a daily basis to be able to maintain contact with my higher power, then I have a, a chance and an opportunity in step 12 to do more than just recover. And that is one of the wonderful things of the program is, is that I can go beyond just recovery, if you would. And that allows me to enjoy some of the wonderful, both simple and wonderful, beautiful things that do occur in this life. 
and to learn different and new things as time goes by. So, I'm certainly not perfect because I just accidentally turned off one of the recorders here. <laughs> so, having said that, um, I'm open to some questions if you have any. And thank you for letting me share and being of service. My class, how I work, step 11. I do it on a daily basis. I do it every morning when I get up. Sometimes I even do it in the afternoon if I have time to do that. And what I do on the first thing in the morning when I get up is I, once again, take the time to get, allow myself to breathe slowly and gently so that I can get in the mood to be able to be in a meditative state. And for me, a meditative state is one of not perfection which is to say is, is that I think one of my mistaken ideas when I was first in the program and learning how to meditate was that somehow automatically I had to be in the state of nirvana instantly with no thought and nothing happening. And, and there have been moments, by the way, where I've been at the point where I'm not sure what my surroundings are. I'm not really sure exactly what I'm about at the moment, and that's a nice state to be, but I'm not there all the time. And so when I start out my meditation... What happens sometimes is as I start talking about that and then thinking about, gee, if I have to go back over to work tomorrow because I forgot to get this thing, and what if I go over there and if I show up at that point, God, my boss is going to be there, and I really don't want to talk to him about it. And then somewhere around line, in that line, I realize, ah, my mind is wandering off into something else. And then I just very gently remind myself that I'm back in a meditative state, and I, it brings me gently back to where I am, I've actually had two or three times in my life that wonderful moment where my mind was on a conscious level. I could almost sit back, almost like viewing a voyeur of my own thoughts, if you would. And it's almost as if I could just see my own thoughts passing. And I, didn't, I wasn't trying to fight them. I wasn't trying to keep them from happening. But I was not getting involved with them. And I was just letting it happen and understanding that's part of who I am. And... With the meditation, uh, and then I'll wrap up with this, is, is that it also allows me going forward to know what it feels like at the moment to feel that calmness. So other times during the day when I want to eat and I ask my higher power for the strength not to overeat, take that extra bite, I also have something to draw on from that 11th step on a daily basis. And my body and my mind, which are jointly, closely related to each other, know that there's going to come a time during the day and I can let all that stress and everything pass through and out. And then once again, for me, as far as you know, my, my prayers go, my prayers are my first three steps that I go into them uh, at, right after that in the morning. And so uh, since I've been accused of many times in my life of going on too many times by my, <laughs> life, by my wife, whom I love dearly, thank you for letting me share. <laughs>